Hello, everybody. I am John Allen, the editor of Crux, and your host here on Last Week in the Church, where we harvest the fruits over the past week in journalism with regard to the Vatican and the global Catholic Church. I'm going to begin today with a special appeal, and I want you to listen extremely carefully. But once we're past that and we get to the news, here's what we've got for you. We begin with Matteo the Mediator. Pope Francis has named Italian Cardinal Matteo Zuppi of Bologna as his special troubleshooter for the conflict in Ukraine. Exactly what he's going to be doing and what we might expect remain, well, unclear, to put it charitably, but we will tell you what we know and what we don't. Second, POTUS and the President. When Joe Biden was elected as only the second Roman Catholic president of the United States three years ago, Many American Catholic conservatives wanted the Pope to take him to the woodshed to tell him that his policies did not reflect Catholic teaching. Well, three years later, we do indeed have a pretty serious rift between the White House and the Vatican. It's not quite the one American Catholic conservatives wanted, though. We'll break down what's going on there. Third, stamping out the stamp. The Vatican issues and then withdraws in a space of about 24 hours a new postage stamp promoting the upcoming World Youth Day in Lisbon, Portugal, will explain why somebody in the Vatican Post Office right now probably ought to be polishing their resume. Fourth, this week, what we've got is the shot heard round the Vatican. A psychologically disturbed 40-year-old tries to force his way onto Vatican grounds by rabbing his car through a security barrier prompting a gendarme to take a shot, and then the guy is arrested and sent for a mandatory psych eval, will explain why all of that prompts a sort of reflection on popes and security. And then finally, one step up, two steps back, why a new law for the Vatican city-state from Pope Francis is being heralded as a step forward for laity, but at the same time, is also seen as a missed opportunity for reform on a couple of other fronts. All that and more is waiting for you on this week's edition of Last Week in the Church, so please stay where you are. All right, everybody, welcome back. So this past Sunday was the World Day of Communications. That is an observance created by Pope Paul VI in 1967 in the immediate wake of the Second Vatican Council intended to prompt a reflection on the role of the media, and because this is the Vatican, in a special way, the Catholic media. And that's a perfect segue with where I want to begin this week, because I want to talk to you about one of the great personalities of the Catholic media in our day. It's the managing editor here at Crux, a guy by the name of Charlie Collins. Many of you who read Crux probably know Charlie personally, either from his work with us or from his days at Vatican Radio. But even if you've never met him in person, if you read Crux, you do know him. Because over the years, Charlie has been a driving force in shaping the look, the sound, the tone, the feel of Crux. I think it's probably fair to say that Crux would not be what it is without the contributions that Charlie Collins has made. Now, recently, Charlie suffered a very serious stroke and he's currently in a hospital in the UK. He's come out of surgery okay, and most of the signs look positive, but the road ahead is long and complicated in terms of his recovery. 
It's also costly. I mean, you don't need me to tell you that a serious medical crisis, well, I mean, it causes your world to come crashing in on many levels. I mean, one is the emotional thing, but the other, another, is the unforeseen costs. We've created a special fund using GoFundMe to try to come to Charlie's aid and the aid of his wife, Claire, who also works at Crux, and their two kids. Trust me when I tell you that Charlie and Claire are not only consummate professionals responsible for much of Crux's success, they are also two of the best people you ever meet. They're two of the most spectacular parents you'll ever meet, two of the most devoted friends you'll ever meet. As you know, the true true test of friendship is how do you react when the chips are down? Well, for Charlie and Claire right now, the chips are down. And I'm asking you to help me help us come to their aid. If you go on the Crux site right now, you will see an editor's note by me. If you open that up, it will take you to the page on GoFundMe where we're raising money for Charlie and Claire. We've already, thanks be to God, exceeded the initial goal we set 10,000 pounds, pounds because they live in the UK. But that really just scratches the surface of what they're going to need in the months ahead. So I'm appealing to you on bended knee, if you can, whatever you can do, please, please contribute to this fund to help Charlie and Claire. And I give you special permission. Ordinarily on this show, I appeal to you to help Crux. This month, forget Crux. Whatever you can do to help Charlie and Claire. You will be not only helping them, you will be helping Crux, you will be helping the Catholic media, you will be helping the world. So whatever you can do, please do it. At this point, I hear Charlie's voice in my head screaming at me, shut up about me and get on to the news. So that's what we're going to do. But let me just say, if you can help out, thank you. All right, on to the news. So we begin this week with Matteo the Mediator. The Vatican announced over the weekend that Pope Francis has named... Cardinal Matteo Zuppi of Bologna, president of the Italian Bishops' Conference, as his special envoy to try to deal with the conflict in Ukraine. This, of course, on the heels of the Pope's somewhat cryptic announcement on the way back from his recent trip to Hungary that the Vatican had a secret peace plan, but he couldn't really tell us anything about it. Well, we now know the who, apparently, of this secret plan. We still don't know the what, where, why, or how. The Vatican has said the details of Cardinal Zuppi's mission are still under study. We don't know if or when he might be traveling, for instance, to Kiev or Moscow, who he's going to be speaking to, or what proposals he might be making. It is worth noting, however, that this is not Cardinal Zuppi's first rodeo in terms of mediating an a conflict. He is a product of the community of Sant'Egidio, one of the new movements in the Catholic Church founded in 1968 in the wake of Vatican II that has always had conflict resolution as a special raison d'entre. In 1992, then Father Zuppi was one of the lead negotiators in the Mozambique peace accords that ended a long-running civil war in that African nation the treaty was actually is known as the Treaty of Rome. It was signed at the headquarters of San Egidio here in the Roman neighborhood of Trastevere. So one hopes that Cardinal Zuppi can bring some of that experience and some of that mediating magic to bear on the situation in Ukraine. It was rumored, by the way, prior to this Vatican announcement, 
that Zuppi would be joined by another Vatican prelate, Archbishop Gujarati, who heads the Vatican's Department for Eastern Churches, as an envoy to help mediate the conflict. However, Archbishop Gujarati put out a statement indicating he knew nothing about it, and the Vatican has not said anything about any role for him. Some have speculated that although the Pope may initially have been interested in appointing Gujarati to this role, his reputation as kind of a Russophile, that is a great friend of the Russian Orthodox Church and of Moscow generally, among other things, he speaks fluent Russian, that might have raised some hackles on the Ukrainian side of the equation. In any event, this whole peace mission is still a work in progress, but we do know that whatever the Vatican engages in, Cardinal Matteo Zuppi, who is not only the president of the, of the Italian bishops, but also considered a papabile formidabile, that is, a serious contender to be the next pope, will apparently be a prime mover in all of it. By the way, the Italian Bishops' Conference, CE, is having its plenary assembly this week in Rome, actually began yesterday, and will be going on most of the week. Cardinal Zuppi is, is scheduled to give two major addresses and also hold a press conference, so maybe we'll get some more details from him this week about what exactly he plans to be up to. All right, now speaking of Ukraine, we move on to POTUS and the Pope. As I mentioned at the top of the show, you know, anybody who was paying attention knows that when Joe Biden was elected president of the United States as the country's second Catholic commander-in-chief, there were a number of conservative Catholics in the states who felt his claim to be Catholic was kind of built on sand. That is, because of his policies on abortion and other life issues, they felt that he wasn't really honoring Catholic teaching, and what they would have wanted was for somebody in the Vatican, particularly, of course, the Pope, to, you know, wrap his knuckles for all of that. Now, that never really happened. You know, Biden came calling on Pope Francis in 2021. Afterwards, Biden claimed that the Pope told him he was a good Catholic and he should keep receiving communion. The Vatican never disavowed that, so it has kind of stood as the final word on that encounter. What has happened in the meantime, however, is that a vast gulf has opened up between Biden and Pope Francis on three other fronts. One is Ukraine. Biden has embraced a policy of no retreat, no surrender, has orchestrated the most massive flow of arms into another country, perhaps in American history, so much so the Pentagon recently acknowledged a $3 billion rounding error in the value of weapons systems that the United States has bestowed upon Ukraine. Pope Francis, of course, is on the other side of that. He's condemned the flow of arms into Ukraine. He's called for a negotiated settlement. And he has refused explicitly to break with either Russia or Putin, instead insisting on keeping lines of communications open. Second point of conflict, Syria. The United States, under President Biden, supports a massive, stringent program of sanctions on Syria, amounting to a total economic embargo, also supports a policy of regime change. The United States would like to see President Bashar al-Assad gone. Pope Francis, on the other hand, recently received President al-Assad's new envoy in the Vatican very politely, 
The Vatican opposes those sanctions, believing they harm innocent civilians, and does not support regime change, seeing Assad as a bulwark against the growth of Islamic fundamentalism. Third, of course, there's China. The United States under Biden is shooting down Chinese spy balloons, allegedly, anyway, and you know, blocking Chinese technology, basically engaging in superpower saber rattling. Pope Francis, meanwhile, has negotiated a deal with China over the appointment of bishops, muted any criticism of China's human rights or religious freedom record. In other words, the rift between the president and the United States and the Pope of Rome that some American Catholics wanted three years ago has indeed come to pass. It's just the great irony is that on the issues on which the president and the Pope actually disagree, most American Catholic conservatives would be closer to Biden than they are to Francis. This is all, by the way, a repetition and an affirmation of that ancient wisdom. Be careful what you wish for, because you will surely get it. Third up this week, stamping out the stamp. So the Vatican recently announced a much ballyhoo, the release of a new postage stamp. And they actually printed 45,000 copies of it, basically heralding World Youth Day, which is going to take place this summer in Lisbon, in Portugal. It's actually a lovely image. It shows Pope Francis with a number of young people standing on the prow of a platform, sort of pointing to the horizon. The whole thing actually has a kind of John Paul feel to it. It's sort of Duke and Altum, right? Set off into the deep. Unfortunately, however, it emerges that the particular imagery utilized in this postage stamp was a kind of homage to a statue in Lisbon called the Monument of Discoveries, celebrating Prince Henry the Navigator and basically the Portuguese colonization of the New World. Now, <laughs> colonization these days, particularly in the Vatican, is kind of out of fashion, right? I mean, the Pope staged an entire summit on the Amazon, lamenting, in a way, the legacy of Western colonization in the New World. The Vatican recently issued documents disavowing the so-called doctrine of discovery, which had been linked to 15th and 16th century papal bulls that were seen in some ways as authorizing or legitimizing the colonization of the New World. And so in that context, the idea that the Vatican would be putting out a postage stamp celebrating that colonial legacy struck some people as well deeply weird. For bonus points, by the way, this monument of the discovery was actually created in Portugal during that country's military dictatorship under Salazar when, they, when Portugal had a ministry of propaganda that was putting out this kind of agitprop in favor of the military regime. You know, you add all that up, it's really, it's not a good look. And I, I have no idea who in the Vatican post office was responsible for this. But if the Vatican operated like a corporation or a government any place else on earth, that person would probably already be out of work. So far as I know, no one has yet been fired over this because in the Vatican, it is really, really, really hard to get fired. But, you know, we will see what happens. All right. Fourth up this week, Pope Francis has issued a new fundamental law for the Vatican City State. We talked about it last week. The big headline is that for the first time, 
he is going to allow laity to be part of the governing commission of the Vatican City State. This is seen as a new watershed in the Pope's ongoing campaign to promote the role of laity. However, critics have noticed two other aspects of this new fundamental law that, according to them anyway, represent a kind of failed opportunity for reform. One, the Pope has taken out a provision of the old fundamental law that dates to 2000 and Pope John Paul II that allowed employees of the Vatican who had a beef with their boss to take that concern to the Vatican's labor office. That has been ripped out of the new fundamental law. There's no reference to the labor office. Also, no reference to the new human resources office that Pope Francis himself created, which means by default, if you have a beef with your boss in the Vatican now, you have to go to the Vatican Civil Tribunal, which has no particular expertise in labor relations or HR. And so many people see this as a kind of a kind of step back for workers' rights in the Vatican. The other thing this new fundamental law does is it affirms that the Pope is, has complete, total, and absolute power, executive, legislative, and judicial. In other words, all authority in the Vatican and the three branches of government all reside 100% in the Pope. In fact, this new fundamental law uses the word power only with respect to the Pope. With everyone else, they have functions. Now, the point about this is that many critics have observed that the Pope has tried to, to his credit, make the Vatican Civil Tribunal a more serious operation instead of just dealing with like pickpockets and so on. It now is prosecuting 10 different defendants, including a cardinal, for serious financial crime. Now that's great, except that defense attorneys have noted that the Vatican's legal system violates basic principles of due process and human rights because the judiciary is not independent. The guy who lodged these accusations against these defendants, the Vatican's promoter of justice, and the three judges who are hearing the case, they're all papal employees. And in no other system of justice in the world would that be considered fair to the defense. Some had expected the Pope might use this opportunity to decree a true separation of powers. That didn't happen. No, we will have to see the consequences of all of this as we move forward. But there are at least, according to critics again, at least a couple of instances in which this new fundamental law is kind of a one step up, two steps back situation. All right, finally this past week, we had the situation of a 40-year-old Italian man who apparently tried a couple different times to get into the Vatican and was turned away by the Swiss guards. Finally, in frustration, boarded his Fiat Panda and basically floored and drove through one of the main gates to the Vatican and blew past the Swiss guards and the Vatican gendarmes. One of the gendarmes, seeing all this happen, pivoted, took a shot at the car, was apparently trying to blow out the back tire, but he actually hit the rear fender. The car ended up in the Cortile San Damaso in the Vatican, where the guy got out of the car, was promptly arrested. It was determined that there was something hinky, and he was sent for a kind of mandatory psychological evaluation at a nearby hospital. He apparently was claiming that he had some urgent reason to see the Pope. We don't know what that is. Now, here's the thing. First of all, 
I just want to give kudos to the gendarme who took this shot for actually hitting, more or less, what he was aiming at. Because I don't care how much time you have in the firing range, if you're a Vatican gendarme, you very rarely get to use your weapon in live action. And the fact that this guy, you know, more or less pulled it off, certainly to his credit. I suppose the larger point here is, why is it so relatively easy to get within spitting distance of the Pope, right? I mean, if this were the White House or 10 Downing Street or whatever, there would be concrete barriers. There would be armored personnel carriers. Like, if you tried to drive a car onto the grounds of the White House, there would be 101 different ways in which you would be stopped before you got anywhere close. Comparatively, why is it so easy in the Vatican? Well, first of all, part of it is just logistical. The Vatican is a very small space. It's 108 acres. They need to have the ability for cars to enter and exit because that's how employees get there. That's how visitors get there. But I think the other is more a matter of policy. I mean, a pope doesn't want to take unnecessary risks, but at the end of the day, a pope is not a president. A pope is not a prime minister. A pope is not a corporate CEO. A pope is a pastor. And he doesn't want more distance between himself and the people he is called to shepherd than is absolutely necessary. Probably also worth remembering that from a pope's point of view, his physical security isn't entirely a matter of the gendarmes or the Swiss guards or any other earthly consideration. Popes believe, ultimately, their fate is in the hands of God. John Paul II believed that on May 13, 1981, Feast of Our Lady of Fatima, the Virgin Mary changed the flight path of a bullet to preserve him in office. Now, if that's your worldview, I don't think you really sweat how many concrete barriers there are between you and somebody trying to get to you. I think you figure that your fate is in the hands of a higher power. All right, that is our show for this week. You can find full coverage of all these stories on the Crux site. That is cruxnow.com, cruxnow.com. I just want to repeat that if you go on the site, and please do, please click on my editor's note. Please take a look at the GoFundMe campaign we have going on for our managing editor, Charles Collins. He, his wife Claire, their two children, their families, they could badly, badly use your help. And from the bottom of my heart, from the bottom of our collective hearts, we would be eternally grateful for anything you can do. We will be back here in the spirit of Charlie Collins, the consummate newsman that he is. We'll be back here next week, same bat time, same bat channel. In the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy, and we will talk to you again very soon.